Welcome, everybody, to the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. My name is Jonathan Lee. I'm a certified USAC cycling coach, and I take up the PR duties here at Trainer Road. And joining me like normal is our head coach, Chad Timmerman. How's it going, Chad? It's going well, Jonathan. Thanks. Good. Good to hear. We're going to go through your questions today, your training questions, uh, provide answers that you need. And if you do have any questions and you're joining us live, you can type those in to the questions panel, and we'll see those questions as we go through the podcast, and we'll be able to address them. Uh, For those that have already submitted questions beforehand, we will get to all of those as well. We have a lot of questions today, so we'll try to work through these as efficiently as possible while still giving you the the response that's deserved. Having said that, we may go slightly over our typical hour, so stick with us here, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud or on iTunes if you just search for us, plus really any of your major podcasting apps, you can find us on there. If you do appreciate the podcast, if you listen to it, you find it valuable, any of those things, you can head on over to iTunes and you can leave us a review. We'd appreciate that. Um, five stars is always appreciated, but you just leave however many you feel we deserve. So, uh, without further ado, let's get straight into the questions. Uh, first one we have is from Clint. Clint asks, how important is nutrition to training regarding race event preparation and the winter maintenance phase? Chad, what do you say? Um, so Clint, uh, obviously nutrition is hugely important. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive topic too, but I'm guessing you are asking in particular how to periodize or maybe how to uh, alter your diet based on the time of year. Um, if I'm misunderstanding this, please feel free to chime back in. Um, with race event and prep, I'm guessing you're talking about uh, tapering, uh, in which case uh, maybe that's not what you mean at all. Maybe you're just talking about uh, winter training. Uh, again, chime in anytime. But your nutrition basically follows the same type of periodization as your training does. So if you're doing you know, maybe high caloric expenditure workouts in terms of duration, you're working for a long time during base training, but you're not burning a heck of a lot of sugar, don't necessarily need to replace a heck of a lot of sugar. Um, so, so you just have to tie your nutrition to, to your workouts, you know, higher intensity workouts that do burn a lot of sugar. Um, clearly you might have to fuel pre-ride during the ride and post-ride, but, uh, nutrition follows and, and leads your training to a great extent. Yeah. And if anything, perhaps this is the, it's a good time to ask that question, Clint, because you can nail that down now. And by the time race season rolls around, you'll be set. So, uh, Sabet, forgive me if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly there. Uh, you ask, what is the best way for me to get faster climbing hills? Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, two components there, more power, less body weight. Um, less body weight is pretty straightforward. If you're packing a few extra pounds of body fat, even muscle, depending on how important climbing is to you, uh, your diet's going to, going to play a, a big part in that as is the type of training you do. Um, and then as far as, you know, greater power on the hills, that's typically about strength endurance. So, um, you know, training in the sweet spot, uh, threshold repeats, over-unders, the sort of stuff that puts a, a big strain on your muscular system. Perfect. Clint, and sorry to jump back here, but Clint just gave us a bit more information on the question that he had. Um, he was asking, uh, or he wants to know what foods to avoid, um, just basic information, if there are any type of foods that you would want to avoid. Um, again, it's, it's tied to what time, uh, to season 
your 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 training through uh, high glycemic, you know, high high glycemic load foods, the stuff that spikes your blood sugar quickly, uh, as its place uh, when you're doing you know higher intensity work. Um, whereas you know during base training right now doesn't really have a place. Um, you can subsist largely. You could almost literally subsist on your fat stores alone without any real uh, concern with your nutritional intake. Um, but again, time of year will dictate the, the types of foods. And perhaps a good rule of thumb is Clint's just, and, and perhaps this seems very obvious, but don't necessarily take what other people say for a gospel as far as if they, you know, they eat a piece of meat lovers pizza on the bike. That doesn't necessarily mean that your stomach might agree with that. <laughs> so, um, different things work for different people. And as far as foods to avoid, Hopefully your training is consistent enough and your diet is controlled enough so that you will understand which foods, which inputs actually ended up affecting your training adversely. So Craig, you ask, or you, uh, you have a question, uh, all about, uh, adding more volume for cyclocross training. You say, uh, I'm a cat two cyclocross racer that competes in elite uh, in a very competitive regional series. Your base build and taper cycles are complete trying to determine approximate volume to maintain during the race period, which runs to, uh, to mid-December. I'm still doing two interval days plus at least one race day. It seems possible to add any, it seems impossible to add any additional volume other than recovery rides. That basically means eight to 10 hours at most per week. What do you guys see from elite cyclocross, cyclocross racers during race season? And I assume you're asking when you say, what do you see in terms of their training? Yeah, so Craig, um, I, I honestly can't attest to what we see with from from elite cross racers. We don't really interact directly with them. Um, wh what I can say is, what you're doing right now is totally sufficient. I mean, you're getting a couple quality days during the week, and then you're racing. That alone is probably enough, and, and you're dead on. It doesn't leave room for much else. You're gonna you're gonna spend so much of your time recovering from those higher intensity workouts and engaging in high intensity racing, that you have little else to worry about than recovery. Whether you do that on the bike or off the bike is up to you. But your training load right now is spot on as far as what I'd recommend for uh, a race phase. Don, uh, you have a question about earning, or sorry, early morning pre-training nutrition. We've answered uh, this question in one manner or another uh, a couple times, so we should have some good insight. Uh, you say that some of us are on the zero dark 30 schedule because most of us are just doing this to have fun. For days of the higher intensity workout, an example, a VO2 workout, how do we handle pre-workout nutrition given we're already up super early? What are some suggestions to consume within 30 minutes of the harder workouts to sufficiently fuel the workouts? Okay, Don, so um, we're actually all in this for, for the fun to some extent, I hope. Um, so we're with you there. Um, the, the higher intensity workouts typically mean they're going to be limited to 90 minutes, probably closer to 60 in the case of a lot of our workouts. In which case, you don't actually have to eat anything beforehand. I mean, when you, when you get up um, from, from your overnight fast, you know, you haven't eaten yet, uh, your, your liver glycogen's tapped probably. There's not, not much there, if any. But you've still got a lot of onboard muscle glycogen, certainly enough to get you through a 60-minute workout, especially considering the, the composition of the workout sleeve. You know, only so much time for actual work. The rest is spent recovering or warming or cooling. Um, 90 minutes probably going to be sufficient for that too, but it depends, you know, how sugar dependent your system is and how quickly you blow through those stores, you know, what intensity you're working. So if you find that with maybe the longer um, 70, 80, 90 minute workouts, you're running out of gas, uh, you can, you can drink on the fly. I mean, something like a, you know, uh, any sort of energy drink, 
Um, some people, if you're more into the natural foods, uh, bananas seem to work quite well. Um, fruit in general metabolizes pretty quickly. Um, but I've been training literally for years on uh, nothing, basically black coffee out of bed, do my workout, and then you know either eat or don't eat after, depending on you know, what sort of adaptations I'm chasing at the moment. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Chad, so uh, not much too much to add there, but I can say that I also work out in that semi-fasted state in the morning, and I don't notice anything adverse. It also, it's perhaps worth mentioning, if you are used to eating something beforehand or you're feeling hunger pains or anything else like that, Chad gave some great advice for that. But also know that it takes time to get used to that as well uh, with your body, I would say. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong there, Chad, but it takes time to just kind of get over the fact that uh, you may, if you're used to eating a breakfast in the morning, then you're going into training that uh, and just going in in a fasted state. It'll take time to get used to that. Certainly some people wake hungry, in which case I would recommend eating something, getting something on your stomach. Um, I'm not one of those people, so it's really easy for me to skip that early meal. Michael, uh, your question has to do with aerobic development with minimal uh, volume. Hi, do you think I still can get decent, deep aerobic development with doing weekday rides of no more than two hours? Yep, you sure can, Michael. It doesn't have to involve long rides. And kind of tying back to what we just talked about, if it's a fasted ride, you kind of enter in a in a more, uh, not a pre-exhausted state, but you don't have as much uh, glycogen on hand. So you'll reach an exhausted state sooner, which is kind of what we're after when we're, we're seeking aerobic adaptation. We're trying to you know, cook those slow twitch fibers, fatigue them, and uh, place a particular type of stress on the system. Um, two hours may not seem like a lot, but on a trainer, when it can equate to, you know, up to you know, one and a half times what you'd encounter outdoors with all the interruptions, that could, you know, kind of boil down to dang near a three-hour outdoor ride. Um, and then your consistency is probably the biggest biggest uh, matter of concern here. If you can do those two-hour rides two, three, four times a week, you're going to see a, a, a nice boost in your aerobic conditioning. Alex, uh, you have a question about base plans and the different adaptations that come with the different volumes. In this case, you're referring to our training plans that we have on Trainer Road, are specifically our base training plans, traditional base and sweet spot base. You ask, or you mentioned my A-Race Ironman Lake Placid. It's at the end of July. Um, or your, your A-Race is Ironman Lake Placid, forgive me. For the next eight weeks or so, I would like to bike only with the objective to raise my FTP as I think this would give me the best return on the invested time. In about eight weeks, I'll start training with swim, bike, and run, and I will start with a sweet spot base uh, training plan. So your question, what sweet spot plan should I choose now when I bike only? I looked at the high volume, and it has only Sunday rides, which is excellent, uh, or has long Sunday rides, which is excellent, but I think later in the season, uh, if I choose sweet spot low volume, would that improve FTP rise at the same degree as medium or high volume? Um, to a large extent, yeah. The The difference between those volume options really is how much aerobic and recovery conditioning we add to it. So they all operate on the same framework, which is you know a couple days of intervals during the week couple, or a single day of intervals on the weekend. Um, and then the, the mid-volume and higher volumes just pad that with uh, lower intensity mileage, which is pretty much how it would have to be, be structured in order to allow sufficient recovery. So... You can see uh, if you're just concerned with increases in FTP, uh, the low volume plan is absolutely sufficient. Aaron, or yes, Aaron, forgive me. Aaron, you have a question about recovery after an Olympic triathlon. 
what is your recommendation for a recovery ride recovery ride after an Olympic triathlon race? How many days? And what are the suggested workouts during those days? Uh, Aaron, that this is uh, subjective to a large extent, like you know, pretty much anything is when it comes to training. But uh, an Olympic distance triathlon isn't going to bury you the way a half distance or a full distance are. So the recovery requirements aren't nearly as steep. You can probably get away with two or three days before you jump back into training. Where you jump back in is uh, going to be relative to your rate of recovery. So if after maybe two days off or a day off and a light day, you start to gradually ramp your intensity back up, you'll know if you're recovered yet. And you can use metrics like your waking heart rate and uh, just, you know, your, your perceived exertion, all, all, your, all those subjective measures that tell you, you know, how do I feel today? Do I feel ready to do a round of VO2 max intervals? If not, give it another day. Um, um, when you do work back towards the higher intensity training, take your time doing it. Um, don't, uh, you know, rest three days and then jump right back into to hard stuff. Give your day, give yourself at least a day to do kind of uh, low to moderate intensity work before you dive back into the tough stuff. Yeah, and always keep in mind the fact that uh, recovery, if you are at the, on the fence about whether you should work in or get it back into things right then or, or perhaps delay it, um, remember that erring on the side of caution won't necessarily be as detriment, detrimental as pushing yourself too hard, right? So, yeah, truly. When in doubt, rest. Mm-hmm. Bogdan, you have a question about resuming base training after a break. I plan to start the sweet spot base training plan. That's one of our trainer road training plans on the, on the, in November, in the beginning of November, there are two sessions or two parts to it. Each of them are six weeks long. I know that I will be away for the holidays for two weeks from in early December. Um, so your question, uh, is, should I put the part I, um, I end, sorry, this one's missing a couple words there. Um, your question is how to proceed when I will have a two-week holiday break. So in other words, after you take those two weeks off, um, how should you get back into things? And it looks like you'll be at that point, you'll be back into the beginning or you'll be into the beginning of the second sweet spot block. Um, yeah, Bogdan, sweet spot base. you've actually set this up nicely. I mean, you got your six weeks or, or it works out, times out nicely. You got your six weeks and then you'll have a two-week break, um, which comes at uh, a good time because you could use the recovery. So that first week, not a big deal. Second week, um, it, it'd be pretty great if you could do something in term, something over those two weeks to kind of maintain your aerobic fitness. Um, anything doesn't matter. Cross train in any manner you see fit. And when you do start back up, uh, it, it kicks off with an FTP test. So you might decline a bit, but that's that's kind of everything that's going to take place from that point forward is going to be based on your newly assessed FTP. So if it dropped a little, that's okay because the workouts are going to scale accordingly. So you could lose a little bit of fitness, but there's no reason to backtrack or really change anything. Just uh, proceed with your new FTP. Ole, you ask about extending traditional base, um, and you also ask about uh, how to reduce volume of the traditional base plan and still progress. So let's take your first question there. I am planning. On, I'm planning uh, to, or you're pl- looking ahead at base training, traditional, uh, doing the traditional base plan with low volume version of that. Um, and you read in, in that where it says ultra endurance riders should again consider extending this phase by an extra two weeks of a total of six weeks. Which training week should I supply this period with? Mm. And what is the definition of ultra endurance? Yeah, those are both good questions and particularly germane, germane uh, to the time of year. Um, I got this question the other day, um, in, in his 
concern was that he didn't want to go, uh, this particular athlete didn't want to go six weeks before he saw recovery or five weeks before he saw recovery. Um, you can structure the weeks any way you want to. So maybe you go one, two, three, four, and then you repeat weeks uh, two and three. Uh, in, in any case, recover when, when is necessary. When you tack on those extra weeks, what we're looking for is, is a mild increase in your, in your stress. And that can be accomplished really simply with just an extra 15 minutes, maybe a half hour on your long ride at the end of the week. So which weeks you choose um, isn't all that important because they're so similar. What is important is that your, your TSS or your stress or the time on the bike rises just a little bit each of those weeks. Um, and as far as the definition of ultra endurance, that just goes for, you know, like 24-hour mountain bike racers, Ironman triathletes, uh, people who are doing, you know, stuff that's five-plus hours, typically much longer than that even. You also say that you are a middle-aged man at 58 who rides for exercise and participation in Grand Fondos, anywhere from 100 to 270 Ks. Uh, you are making good progress with your training. You're in traditional base low volume one, and you're in the third week of it as we speak. And it's going well, but it feels like it's a little too much volume for you every week. And it's a challenge with your job and your family and everything else, and also with your body and recovery. How would you recommend I scale down training and simultaneously become a better cyclist? What do you say to that, Chad? Um, if you're looking to spend less time on the bike and get a little more out of your time, um, then, then you have to emphasize the quality over the quantity. So you might consider, rather than the the traditional base volume approach or a traditional base uh, plan approach using the sweet spot plans. Um, you also say, oh, I'm not sure I understand the second part of that question, but um, less time on the bike with you know similar gains or more gains, um, you've got to favor the intensity a bit more, and that's what the sweet spot base plans are more geared toward. Perfect. Mark, you have a question about uh, FTP testing and the percentages at which we measure. Is the FTP determination of 10% lower than your eight-minute power in the eight-minute test that we have? That's an FTP test. Is that assuming that the eight-minute effort was done at VO2 max and that threshold occurs at 90% of VO2 max? Uh, that's a good question, Mark. Uh, no, we, we actually use uh, Chris Carmichael's uh, two-by-eight format for this, this assessment. Um, and eight minutes is already a little outside of the realm of what most people, how long most people can sustain their power their VO2 max power. So the reduction of 10% is lenient. So we're assuming that you're working at a little lower than your VO2 max, so we reduce it um, by only 10%. Uh, if we were to base that on a VO2 max test, we would probably use more along the lines of 80 to 85%. Charlie, uh, you ask about which training plan is best for a full distance triathlete. I'm a triathlon guy. I do half Ironmans and full. I'm a fairly new rider, but I've been in triathlons for 10 years. Uh, two years ago, I started doing real bike work. Now I'm training with power for one year. I want to build my FTP and, and Ironman distance indoors over winter. I'm eyeing up the week, uh, the eight-week sustained power build plan that we have, and you're the mid-volume version is what you mentioned. Suspe specifically, you want to raise your FTP. Will this work, or should I look for something different? Um, as far as a build plan, that'll work. Uh, but if you're well enough out from your event that you've got time to address your base training, I would strongly suggest looking at the traditional base plans and, and considering those two-week extensions too. Uh, Ultra-endurance athletes, like, like uh, full-distance Ironman triathletes, 
uh, rely heavily on their aerobic base. So uh, honestly, you, you probably couldn't over-condition your aerobic base. I mean, there is a, a point of uh, substantially diminished returns where you have to change the, the training stimulus and move on to some build training. But you could spend, I mean, upwards of you know, 15, 16 weeks doing little more than cultivating your aerobic base and still have a, a very solid performance at a full-distance triathlon. Oscar and Roger, you have similar questions, but ironically, very, very different disciplines in which uh, these these answers will apply. You're really in the in essence, you're asking about uh, skipping base training, uh, just and and really basing that off of having previous form. Uh, Oscar, you say I'm planning to follow traditional base build and specialty plans. So those are our plans that we have on Trainer Road from now until my racing season starts again in late April. But I can see that I have already run out of weeks to do the full program. Uh, do you think it's okay to skip the first four weeks of base training? I've been training quite steadily up until now, so I'm not beginning from scratch. What do you say, Chad? Yeah, Asker, if you were to skip anything, uh, in your case, I think that'd be the the most prior. Uh, the that's what I'd recommend skipping. Um, your if your fitness is reasonably high, you're you're going to skip that four weeks of rather low intensity stuff. Uh, the next four weeks isn't a heck of a lot harder, so it's not like you're going to uh, have a hard time settling it in, settling into that second phase of traditional base. And it's important to note, Chad, that this isn't to say that anybody with fitness coming into the fall season or the the normally known off season uh, should just skip at base training, right? Mm. That's not what we're yeah, saying that's, here. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just because your fitness is high right now doesn't mean you're going to build on that. I mean, you're actually going to, there's going to have to be a bit of stepping back for a little while. And um, when you resume base training, and I recommend uh, almost across the board, the athletes do on an annual basis, when you resume base training, you're going to have to expect a bit of a decline in uh, especially your high-end fitness, but maybe fitness <clears throat> in general, as you uh, tone things down, let your body heal a bit and then uh, ramp back up for your next season. Oscar, or, and I'll just jump ahead to Roger's question because it related in, in a similar respect to this. Roger, uh, you, you ask pretty much the same question, but with Leadville. I've read the articles on picking some training plans, but I'm still a little confused. My A event is the Leadville Trail 100 Mountain Bike Race next August. I'm just coming off that event this year. My fitness level is pretty high. I want to focus on building more speed for next year's event. So should I just look at starting with the different base plans and work up from there? Yep, exactly what I just said, Roger. Same same idea. And in your case, um, I did the math earlier, actually, and you've got 42 weeks. So um, when you consider that uh, typically stepping through our plans takes 28 weeks to do a base build and then a specialty, but then if you tack on the extra two weeks to each of the three traditional base phases, that puts on another uh, six weeks, bringing you up to 34. Um, so basically, you've got tons of time. So um, even consider... Uh, doing something different for a little while, but when you do get back into it, you're looking to build, uh, in general, a higher level of fitness, you know, build greater um, strength, endurance, greater speed later on. All that's going to come down to uh, very much so the amount of base or the amount of time you dedicate to developing your aerobic base. So um, with, with all that time ahead of you, I absolutely recommend going the traditional base route. And it sounds like you're pretty hungry, Roger, after doing Leadville this year. So 
Um, as Chad said, it might be a good idea to take a break from things, but certainly uh, try to keep that fire going. That's valuable. Yeah, seriously, just just do some mountain biking for you know three or four weeks. Just enjoy yourself. You don't have to chase anything structured. Don't have to um, be be rigid in any manner. Just just ride for fun for a little while. Uh, calculate, you know, good in your case, probably thirty four weeks back from Leadville. And then uh, start your training in earnest when you feel um, refreshed, if, you know, maybe a little lower on the fitness side. Now, jumping back to the next question from Osgar, he says, I'm thinking of doing traditional base low volume two, but I'm quite sure that two hours on the home trainer will be too boring for me. Can't I just swap these workouts with some higher intensity ones to, to quote, get it over with? Or will that ruin the whole idea behind building slow fitness? I'm in okay shape at the moment, so is it better? Is it a better idea uh, not to do base building, but something else before the build and specialty phases? So, does that high intensity work? Would that would that throw things off, Chad? Um, it doesn't throw things off exactly. It just doesn't uh, approach base in the same way. So it's it's less about teaching your body to metabolize fat and more about improving your muscle endurance. So if you're looking for higher intensity, bigger bang for your buck workouts, um, give the, the sweet spot approach, you know, either the sweet spot base one and two, or just some sweet spot workouts where you're working at roughly 90% of your, your threshold. Brian, you have a question about using trainer road outdoors. Uh, you say I've been doing some of the trainer road workouts outdoors using, using both my Garmin edge 500 on my bars and the trainer road software running on my iPhone. I have a stages and all the Wahoo speed cadence, heart rate monitor running via Bluetooth. I assume to your phone. Do you think there, do you think there are any abnormalities I should be aware of or on the lookout for? Um, I'm actually going to punt this one to Jonathan, but I'll first say I've been doing something similar and uh, that my only issue has been little data dropouts here and there. Jonathan, what about you? Yeah, actually, I'm just like Chad. Uh, We do the same thing here. Uh, When I'm riding with uh, with power outside, I have my iPhone collecting data so then I can see my data on my trainer road profile as well. Um, All of us, we all we all (laughs) we all tend to do that. And that was one of the perks when the iOS app came out. Uh, you shouldn't see anything actually irregular. Uh, Bluetooth and Ant actually send data at different rates with certain devices. Some devices, it, I, I, I should say it varies from device to device, device to device. So if you're really going to get fine on the resolution, you might see something different, but you actually shouldn't see any type of, uh, from an overall perspective, you shouldn't see any type of big differences between the data. Uh, the, the only thing to keep in mind is the fact that um, if your device, your iPhone is running for a very long time and it's collecting data like that, it will want, want to run out of battery on you a lot quicker than it would otherwise. Uh, so that's the only thing that I would say. You shouldn't notice any abnormalities. Uh, you'll just be able to uh, gather, gather your data and it'll probably startle you, startle you a bit because of the fact that the data will not be as clean as what you're used to seeing, but that's just the nature of outdoor riding. And also, I, I don't know about you, Chad, but I, I recommend just doing, uh, starting one of the free ride workouts that's a lot longer than, than what you may actually be doing when you ride. That way, the time ride doesn't time out on you. Is that what you do as well, Chad? That's exactly what I do. Use a free ride, and I usually choose uh, Free Ride 360, which gives me six hours, which I, um, I don't usually even come close to, let alone exceed. Perfect. Michael, uh, you have a question about a training plan for a Grand Fondo rider. Uh, you just signed up with Trainer Road. Thanks. Good to hear. Uh, you're a regular road bike rider and have ridden 1,700 miles since January. Um, and you completed four metric centuries between June and October and have ridden on an average of 60 to 70 miles per week. 
your goal is to build power output, speed, and climbing ability. So in other words, just build overall cycling fitness and uh, perhaps an emphasis on climbing. My indoor training to date has been unstructured. What training plan do you recommend? Um, by training plan, I'm going to assume you mean uh, the entire season's approach, but uh, <clears throat> I'll break it down. I would, in your case, since you're new to structured training and you're no stranger to mileage, I would switch things around and go the sweet spot-based route. I think you'll... Uh, I just find it a little more productive, a little more entertaining. And when you're new to structure, it's a little more forgiving. The workouts are, like I said, a little more entertaining, a little more engaging. Um, so, you know, the sweet spot base, uh, 12 weeks of training is my recommendation. Um, you can certainly explore the traditional base route. But in, the, in either case, I'd then move on to the sustained build where your focus is primarily muscle endurance. But there's a fair amount of VO2 max training in there as well. Um, and whether you get it via that training plan or on your own, uh, it's it's something good to to weave into your your build training. And then when it comes time to pick a specialty, uh, we have a century plan, and we also have a a sustained climbing road race plan. If you want to mix things up a little bit, there's also a chance we'll have a double century plan by the time you get there. Perfect. And just to recap, there though, that's using our training plan structure, which is just a base build and specialty. We just break your your training plan for the whole year, your annual training plan, into three phases. That makes it easy to adjust and understand your training and be very objective about uh, how you're doing. So there's a base phase, a build phase, and a specialty phase that takes you from square one to peak fitness. So, Joe, uh, you have a question about which plan a crit racer or which plan is best to pick if you're a crit racer, but you also do other forms of road racing. So this is actually really common for a lot of racers. My racing will consist around 90% of criteriums in an hour in length, as well as a couple longer road races. I'll take part in club TTs of 16 to 40 Ks and some end of season hill climbs, but these are both of lesser importance as the majority, likely all of my points for the season will come from criteriums. I'm wondering whether my specialty phase should be the criterium plan or a rolling road race plan to account for the other riding or racing I will be doing. Uh, Chad, let's take a, let's take his question to that point right there. Sure. Um, being that criteriums are clearly your focus, uh, I would just stick with the criterium plan. There's enough overlap in the, the racing demands between um, racing crits and racing road, rolling road races, especially. So I don't think you're you're going to be ever too far from top or high end fitness in either of those if you follow the crit plan. Perfect. Then you ask, is it possible to create a hybrid of both plans, exchanging one of the rolling road race sessions for a criterium specific session each week? Are there particular ways you would recommend doing this? Uh, the plans are always flexible, so you can always you know pull one workout out and swap something in that you think is a little more applicable to, to your style of racing or maybe a particular limiter that you're trying to address at the time. Um, but a, again, there's, there's so much overlap between the demands of the two that you could honestly choose either one of those plans and, and probably do quite well in both. But again, crits are your focus and those crit plans are uh, pretty specific to, to what you're going to see during a criterium. But again, there's a, there's a lot of overlap with the, the punchiness of rolling road races. Again, if there's one discipline where uh, you could get some overlap from one plan to the next, road racing can definitely be that just because of the group tactics nature. And in many cases, if you're racing, I don't know what level you're racing, Joe, but if you're racing at a level where guys are throwing strategic attacks and they're actually ones that are sticking instead of guys just uh, 
just <laughs> doing random attacks. If you have that going on, then you're going to need that type of fitness to be able to hit off and on at, you know, huge power outputs way over your, your threshold and then coming back down. Um, so that, that's the type of fitness that you'll build specifically within the criterium plan. So there will be crossover as well. Right, Chad? Yeah, absolutely. Lars, uh, you say as a triathlete, I'm currently recovering from a knee injury. Therefore my physical therapist recommends not doing heavy workload. A good FTP test seems not possible. Could I start the traditional base base plan on heart rate instead of power? I've read somewhere that base one is even recommended on HR. Uh, would you recommend this? Chad, do you want me um, to take this one? Yeah, first, well, yeah, you can, uh, let me say first that uh, absolutely, um, you're dealing with an injury and that has to take precedence over everything else. Um, you can certainly train base on heart rate alone. Um, it's still fraught with the same perils that heart rate based training always is. So you, you have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to you know, watch for those particular heart rate patterns and know that your fitness is in fact uh, improving and that it's not due to other, other factors. But um, base one especially done solely on heart rate is absolutely workable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what Chad said on as far as caution or expressing caution there is so key. And uh, as far as how that would work with trainer road, um, you could just, if you can identify your heart rate zones, uh, you could use those as more of a guiding principle as you go through your workouts instead of power. We don't have a, a setting on our iOS app or anything else like that where you can just work out with heart rate instead of power because we feel that power always does give you a better workout. But in your situation, it is unique. Uh, so in this case, yes, uh, I, I would recommend using your, your heart rate to check that before you get into the point where you're pushing your efforts too hard. Having said that, if you just are at a point where your FTP is really high from your pre-injury time period, then you can always drop your FTP to a very reasonable rate uh, during this base training phase. And uh, that may be a more effective way to do it. Uh, do a couple workouts, monitor your heart rate, and don't pay attention to your power goals, but just try to pay attention to your coinciding heart rate zones for those uh, for those power goals. And then think about what your FTP would have to be in order to hit that. And you can adjust it. And that can be your, your recovery FTP, so to speak, uh, after this injury. Nick, uh, you ask how long should the taper between the end of a specialty plan, um, and the event you're training for be? I'm training for a 40 kilometer time trial that will be held on the Thursday. So, so yeah, Nick, yeah, Chad, um, we actually, or I actually have incorporated tapers into, I think every specialty plan. Um, they're typically two week tapers, which uh, in some cases is a bit excessive. And, and, uh, some writers uh, have talked that they talked about only needing a single week's taper. And that's, you know, again, it's all due to the subjectivity of training and racing, but typically the, the higher your training load, the longer your taper, there's a distinct correlation there. So if, uh, you're training on a lower, at the lower end of the volume range, you know, maybe doing six to eight hours a week, for instance, you could get away with a four day taper. I mean, it doesn't have to be this, uh, this extensive, perfectly diminished training load such that you arrive fresh. You'll get a feel for relative to your training load, how quickly it takes you to recover. And it also depends on the priority of the event. So if this isn't a particularly important event, then that, that, that short taper may be sufficient. If it's a more important event, then uh, I, I would say for a 40 KTT, probably no more than a six or seven day taper. Charlie, uh, 
you ask, I am training for my second Ironman in 2016. I want to improve my Ironman specific training. Uh, your FTP is currently 268, but you want to improve that over the winter. I'm looking at uh, Trainer Road's full distance triathlon mid volume training plan. So that's our specialty plan for full distance triathletes. I'm on my bike four to six hours a week, now finishing with uh, a half Ironman in two weeks. Can I take a week off and jump into the mid volume training pro- or mid volume program? Should I consider a high volume program? By the way, I use a kicker indoors. So uh, I guess the, the first question really to, to cover with this one um, is whether or not to jump into the half Ironman plan that we have or the full distance. Um, forgive me. Yes, the, the, ha- the full distance mid volume program right now. What do you say to that, Chad? Um, I'm still trying to figure out. So you're, are you coming from the half distance plan? Did I see that somewhere? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Uh, improving my IM specific training, um, looking at the Trainer Roads full distance triathlon mid mid volume programs. So that's the one we're looking at. Uh, you're you currently are on your bike four to six weeks, and four to you're six now hours a week. four to six hours a week. Forgive me, and you're now finishing with a half Ironman in two weeks. So I assume you're finishing with an actual half Ironman event, but I'm not sure if you mean the training plan. If you can give us more info on that, Charlie, that'd yeah, be great. Yeah, we'll, we'll, let's come back to that one, Charlie. I'm not entirely sure I understand the question. Clint, uh, you ask, I had a coach tell me once uh, that his one of his goals is to ride 25 miles standing up 100% of the time by April 1st every year to strengthen his core. Does this make sense to you? Um, no, it, it doesn't. There are better ways to strengthen the, the muscles that stabilize the working muscles. Um, I don't think beating up to a pole over 25 miles of standing is a great way to go. Um, it, but you know, if he's doing it in, in such a way that it's incremental, um, and you know, he started with five miles, went up to 10, 20 or 15, either way, um, it might actually work for him. I'm not sure I would prescribe this for uh, a general cycling audience. Um, I think there are better ways to strengthen your core. Uh, lots of, lots of books on the matter. And, uh, uh, this just sounds fatiguing to me. And, and what happens when you get fatigued is uh, bad motor recruitment patterns start to creep in. So you start to pick up bad habits. But again, if he's doing this incrementally, well, then that actually might be uh, one way to skin that particular cat. Yeah, and, and this is, I think, representative of something that many times uh, a lot of us, we hear these um, mantras or perhaps just, you know, uh, tactics that a coach uses and many times they seem somewhat radical and they stick with us and they're uh, somewhat jarring at times, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gospel just because they come from a coach. It's uh, We have enough information these days that we can go about, for example, we can skin that cat, like Chad said, in multiple ways. And we have a lot of information about how to go building, uh, go about building your core strength. So when you hear these type of tips like this, that seem kind of crazy and perhaps a bit extreme, um, try to look at the science behind it and the approach and what that would really be doing and, and what that's trying to accomplish. I think that's sound advice, Chad. I do. Tim, uh, can you give any updates on the new desktop, uh, trainer road software coming out? Uh, yeah, we're, we're very close. And in fact, uh, to be candid with you, Tim, uh, we are just working through the final, uh, bit of, of testing and, and just cutting out some main bugs that we're already aware of. So, our PC, uh, we have a new PC app that's coming out, and it's actually uh, Nate. It within like an hour. 
in fact, our CEO just opened up the door and said he's releasing it within an hour. So it's on the way. Uh, we had some bugs that were apparent to us that we wanted to work through without putting all of you guys through um, in the beta program. So uh, if you're on a PC, you'll be able to test that, and we'll have a link. Uh, if you check our Facebook page, you'll get that. You'll see all the links, and that's just facebook.com slash trainer RD, um, and you can find us on there. Um, so hopefully that gives you the info we need, Tim. After that, we'll be working on uh, Mac and Android. Uh, so that's our next goal there is to we'll be simultaneously working on those. Uh, Siren, I'm just a novice racer, did a couple of Cat 5 races this year. Good job on getting started. That's awesome. And want to put energy and time into training now. Where do I start and how many weeks do I need before my races next year? Uh, my favorite approach for new racers, Surin, is the sweet spot base to kick things off. Um, I like it for a lot of reasons, and I think you'll see um, a lot of uh, quick gains, um, which are tremendously motivating, which is never a bad thing when you're new to racing. It's never a bad thing in general. Um, and then uh, move on to, uh, it would depend what, what sort of events you're moving on or what sort of events you're going to pursue um, in total, though, if you have the time to step back an entire 28 weeks, then, then you can follow our, our plans to the letter. Um, that basically, though, regardless of uh, how you go about it, devoting a solid three months to base is uh, my first recommendation. And then building your fitness more specific to the events you're, you're going after for another couple months. And then uh, specializing your fitness for another couple months. So in total, uh, about 28 weeks worth of work. Perfect. And Clint has a similar question. Can you speak more about the time of year of your three training phases are geared around? And really, once again, that depends on your event, Clint. Um, and it's not necessarily the, the base training phase isn't for fall, for example. It's, it's all about where you are in your training in relation to your event. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be relative to your event date. Um, most people want to be fit for r roughly the same type of year or same time of year, um, at least um, if we're talking about a North American audience. So that you know that falls uh, springtime and summer. So because of the, if that's in fact the, the track you're on, then your base training is going to take place uh, some sometime in the November to February window, and then the next couple months will be your build. The next couple months will be your your, your specialization. And that really applies to everybody in the Northern Hemisphere. And even down in Australia, we find that a lot of people, uh, Australia in many cases actually tends to, uh, to coincide in some respects to our, to our racing series just because of the global culture that we see. Pretty cool stuff. So, um, Scott, uh, you have a question that's about which plan is best for a sprint triathlon. I'm just looking to begin organizing my structured training for the winter months. Is next season... Um, I will be racing for both or racing both draft legal and non-drafting sprint triathlons at a relatively high level. I was thinking that traditional base low volume two, followed by a sustained powered build low volume, um, then sprint distance triathlon mid volume. What do you guys think of this training plan? Um, I think both due to the requirements of the sort of races you're going to do, especially the draft legal ones, but also because of the low volume nature of your training availability that uh, traditional base is probably not the way to go for you, Scott. I'd, I'd recommend using the sweet spot base plans instead uh, because those low volume plans um, compensate for the fact that it's low volume and they, they uh, give you at least three days of intervals a week. Well, the low volume gives you just that, three days of interval a intervals a week, whereas the traditional base plan is just going to very slowly build up your aerobic fitness. And uh, for, for short sprint races, I'm not sure that's as big a concern 
as uh, the traditional base route would make it. Um, and then as far as the build, uh, sustained power could work. I think you might be better suited with probably the general the general build. It's a little more diverse and a little more geared toward, uh, it includes more of the VO2 max and uh, anaerobic efforts that you may not see the anaerobic ones with, with even draft legal stuff, but you will see some accelerations that aren't as well covered in the sustained power build plan. And then, uh, yeah, this uh, the low volume sprint distance tri-plan is a gooder. Andrea, uh, hi, Chad. I've just begun year three with Trainer Road. Awesome. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, very good to hear. But this year I'm committing to a huge goal, uh, the Clásico Milano-San Remo on the first week of June. So it's a 300-kilometer race, for those that don't know. I'm less than a Sunday warrior, um, but just keeping fit, enjoying cycling and sprinting on top of Sunday friends. I'm trying to plan the training schedule starting from the end, um, as from your indications, but I found some issues on max, on mixing and matching the plans. Uh, here's, I guess, the, the main points to this. One, I can just train one hour or one hour um, or up to uh, one and a half hours as well on weekdays, depending on long rides outside on Sundays. Uh, there's no double century low volume plan. And number three, I couldn't cope with the too many hours on the trainer last spring, uh, just low volume plans. Uh, I mean to start a four weeks a new base, so uh, looks like uh, you're going to do six weeks of the intermediate base to rebuild mm-hmm. some base after a uh, summer of long stopping. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, but then I need to plan with something that takes uh, takes me there without overtraining both physically and mentally. I know I need to append that long ride outdoors to get used to kilometers early from February, maybe not every single week, uh, maybe not too many hours. Um, so I'm going to try to make this one as succinct as possible. Chad, can you provide an answer on this one? Yeah. So, um, back to your, your, your four points there. So you can train one hour, one hour and 1.5 hours. You basically just, uh, laid out the structure of our low volume plans. So right there, um, any of the low volume plans, I would recommend because it's low volume, sweet spot base one and two. Um, and then, uh, your build is going to be a sustained power build, a sustained power build also low volume in your case. Um, then there is no double century plan at the moment. You're quite right. Uh, the century plan, however, is going to work really well. The only change would be that I'd recommend longer rides on the weekend. Sounds like you already have that covered. Um, yeah, the, the old plans, the, the problem with the old plans, and I think this is brought up in a question that's coming up, is that they, they don't uh, measure out the stress as well as the newly developed plans. And that's why they were revisited. Um, some of them didn't have properly timed recovery weeks. Um, and a lot of them didn't ramp at a very steady rate. Sometimes you had a big week followed by a small week followed by a bigger week. Um, so they were uh, not, not as refined as they've become. So uh, if you really like those old plans, that's, all, that's just fine. But keep in mind that you might have some weeks that aren't totally in line with uh, the way we want to progress them week by week. Perfect. And Lars, you have a question about uh, uh, how long our training uh, blocks take in relation to that of what uh, Friel prescribes. Um, you say that uh, in our case uh, that we have 24 weeks, or sorry, Friel uh, prescribe, uh, prescribes 24 weeks in his tri- triathlon training Bible, and ours run a total of 34 weeks. Uh, it's 10 more weeks, obviously, and you're not scared of hard work, but I'm trying to work out how these two theories could match. Can you speak to that, Chad? Yeah, you bet. So, so with the base training, um, I'm not sure what Joe prescribes, but 
uh, this is assuming that you tack on those extra two weeks. So that right there is where six of those extra 10 weeks comes from. Um, the other four weeks just has to do with, you know, we do things a little bit differently than, than Joe does. Um, both plans or both approaches are, are probably valid, but uh, uh, because I'm the one who developed these, I can speak to the fact that they're, they're very thorough. I don't doubt that Joe's are as well, but uh, I just went about these in the most thorough manner I could, and this is where we landed in terms of uh, duration. Perfect. Leith, uh, you have a question about which plan for full distance event in six months. So this is very similar to one that we answered prior to this. You have a full distance event or uh, Ironman in May. You started your training and noticed that the training plans are only eight weeks long. How should I approach uh, the training since I'm six months out now? Just so you guys know, he's talking about the different phases of the training being eight weeks long there. So how should he approach the training since he's only six months out, Chad? Yeah, so much like that last one, Leith, um, you've got 36 weeks and to do the full traditional base and do all the extensions so that you have a really solid aerobic endurance base, you only need 34. So you've actually got a couple extra weeks to, I mean, you could spend them doing something in particular. I'd recommend leaving them for the, the, the unforeseens that, that will arise, but, uh, or you could just take two weeks before you start your training in earnest. But in any case, um, your, your timing is just right. Alan, you ask a question that's very uh, or somewhat similar to one that we answered before. Uh, what winter plan do you recommend for improving climbing? I plan to do some alpine climbs next summer. I'll be doing some sportives and some club TTs, but uh, too. But my main goal for the year is in the Alps. So, how to improve climbing, Chad? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm not terribly familiar with sportives. Are those those are long? Essentially, races, grand correct? fondos. Yep. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so um, your aerobic base is, is a big concern. You know, you can decide how you want to approach that, either with the traditional or the sweet spot base. Um, there, we have a little checklist on there that kind of helps steer you toward one of those plans over the other. Uh, but then your build is going to be a sustained power one. And then uh, the plan you use can be, it could be the century plan. If I have a double century plan by then, it could be that. Um, it could also be the climbing road race plan. Um, I don't know that this is the sportives depending on how aggressively you race them, they can be very race-like. But if you plan to go out there and more ride it uh, at a steady, in a steady manner, then the century plans, I think, are better fits for you. And these will still address the needs to make you a better climber, correct, Chad? Yeah, so like we touched on earlier, climbing is about you know, low body weight, and that's, that's a relative term, and uh, muscle endurance. So you don't necessarily need a high VO2 max, but you do need to be able to operate at a higher percentage of your VO2 max. So, so you have your fitness ceiling. You want to push your threshold up as far toward that fitness ceiling as you can, and that, that comes in the form of uh, muscle endurance, being able to push the pedals hard, being able to do it for a long time. Bert, you have a question that has to do with how to incorporate running into triathlon training, among some other things. Uh, you mentioned that you had an amazing Olympic and half, uh, half Ironman preparation or half triathlon preparation races in the months before challenge Roth of this past year. Um, and they didn't quite go, uh, as planned to be honest. I think the hole I dug myself into with high volume training was too deep to recover and be fresh for the a race. The plan for this year is challenge Roth again, since I have unfinished business there. So I'd like to follow the traditional base, sustained power build, and then full distance triathlon specific training plans. So those are, of course, are our plans. Sounds like a good approach. Yep. Um, so my main question is, where do I put my interval running workouts during the build program? Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna. I'm kind of gonna take a pass on this question only because I'm I'm working on this right now, Bert. I'm actually creating uh, triathlon specific base and build plans. So I'm kind of devising this as as we speak. So these were these will start to crop up uh, really soon. Um, it sounds like you've already. Uh, I, I don't know if you need the recommendations for the base plan, but uh, hopefully I'll get that out soon enough for you to for the ben- for you to benefit from it. But I'll certainly have the build plan or both of these plans up and running by the time you get to your build training, assuming you're in, you haven't even started base yet. Um, and they will have not only specific workouts to, to um, that integrate nicely with the existing bike workouts or the mildly tweaked bike plans, but uh, you'll also have the option of, of using your own workouts, but I'll at least tell you where to time those workouts. So this is in the works right now. And in the meantime, he has a question that's, rel- or I should say relative to the meantime. Uh, he says, can I rely on better high-quality bike workouts to run a bit less? Yeah, so I'm guessing by a bit less you mean to run quicker? Um, but anyway, the, absolutely, your, your, your bike training is going to be uh, highly influential on how well you run. Um, so is your pacing. And, and I look back at your, your results there, and you kind of fell apart on both runs, which leads me to believe that either your your run fitness is lacking, but more likely, I bet you pace the bike leg just a little too aggressively. Perfect. All right, uh, Lars, uh, you have a question where you uh, mentioned the fact that you're, you say you're an old man in your 40s. That's not an old man, Lars. you got to <laughs> change that around. Um, <laughs> and you say that you have family, busy work, and all that. I have started to use Trainer Road, and I love it. That's awesome. Good to hear. I started to train three years back and have had good rise in my endurance and form, but now it's harder and harder to get those gains. I have an FTP around 4.1 watts per kilogram. That's pretty good. Good job. I live in Norway, so I also do a lot of cross-country skiing in the winter. So we're going to be looking at how to kind of incorporate this cross-country skiing into his, into his cycling training. So uh, you say your race plan is as follows. Your A races are going to be cycling in May and June and August. Cross-country marathon mountain bike stuff, six to eight hours on the trail, and also a long team time trial of four to five hours. Your B races are going to be cross-country skiing in February and March. So your plan is to use the low-volume plans, the sweet spot build or sweet spot and build, um, and then add change or add or change the weekend sessions to better fit my cross-country skiing goals, like roller ski sessions where I just use the poles, upper body, and core. Is it wise to use the plans like this and use a low-volume plan while adding other types of workouts or sports so that you reach a TSS that is okay for you? Um, what you need. Lars, that's that's pretty much exactly the way I'd go about it. I, I like your approach. You're you're um, prioritizing your cycling and and getting your quality in, but you're also uh, keeping things interesting and uh, dressing things up with a little bit of cross training. Is cross training specific to your other type of racing? But all the while, you're tracking your stress, which uh, you're really staying on top of this. So uh, I think it's a fantastical way to way to approach this. Yeah, and it sounds fun too. I want I want yeah. Lars' training plan. <laughs> uh, everybody is talking about heavy weight training, and that it's the new thing for cyclists to get to the next level. Uh, and I have seen that the research. Or I've seen the research, so I do believe in the benefit. But I don't have the time to go to the gym, and in my basement, I have my kicker and the possibility to do a body weight circuit. So, is there as there are or are there alternatives to this heavy lifting that can give some of the same benefits? Um, torque intervals, body weight exercise. 
Uh, there's a, and we've had a number of questions about weightlifting today, so I guess we'll yeah. just cover weightlifting now. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's time, and this is a very popular topic for this time of year because if you're going to inc- incorporate strength training into your endurance training routine, this is the time that it's uh, most easy to get away with it and actually see gains on both ends. Um, I've never been a big fan of torque intervals. I don't think that the force requirements turning the pedals even at 40 RPM mimic. Uh, it, it just doesn't carry over very well. I think um, if, if you're looking for improvements in raw strength, that has to be done um, in the gym. So not a big fan of on-the-bike strength training. Um, as far as body weight exercises, um, those are good in the sense that you know they could cultivate a stronger body, and uh, stronger bodies make stronger riders. There's no two ways about that, but it's not going to do anything that lends towards uh, max strength, really, which is what strength training um, moves toward. So, you know, however you address strength training, the end goal for for most riders is to increase your max strength or your you know your peak power output. Um, so a body weight circuit, I don't think it's a waste of time, but it's not going to do anything in terms of increasing that that peak power output or peak torque. Certainly. Uh, to do that, you're looking at, at actually incorporating weights instead of just body weight, right, Chad? Yeah, yeah. And there's, like I said, body weight's useful, and you know, it just makes a stronger body in general, um, even if uh, all you're doing is moving moving your own uh, body weight around. Those can be some pretty demanding exercises, but um, it's not going to do, it just doesn't load the muscles heavily enough to to inspire the sort of adaptations that we're seeking when we're looking to increase raw strength. What about how to, or when to work in, if you are, let's say you're going to be going to the gym or regardless of where you're going, you're going to be weightlifting and you're in the middle of a base phase right now, Chad, when is the best time to work that in relation to your bike training? Yeah, so so um, typically, and there's there's so many opinions on this matter that we could spend a couple webinars alone talking about this alone, and and even then you might not come away with anything terribly useful. But um, I I could give you a basic. I'd like to give you a basic framework for for scheduling your strength training, and uh, this doesn't have to take place during during base training, but like I said, it's the most forgiving time. It's when the training load on the bike, although it may be extensive, is lighter. So you're not always in such an exhausted state necessarily. But you periodize your strength training, you know, should you go the strength training route, um, and whether it's valid or not is, is a discussion or a debate for another time. But you periodize it, periodize it in much the same way that you do your training. You know, there's sort of a, a base phase and then a building phase and then a more rigorous specialization sort of phase. Um, each of these coincides pretty nicely <clears throat> with the base training phase in that they're each about four to six weeks long. So if you're doing 12 weeks of base, then you have three four-week phases. If you're doing 18 hours of base, you have three six-week phases. Um, and then in the first one, you know, four to six weeks, where you're basically just trying to adapt your muscles and your joints and your connective tissue to the to the rigors of the weight training that, that's soon going to follow. And this is the sort of stuff where you do, you know, maybe two to three sets of like 20 rep, uh, maybe three times a week, reasonably light weights. You know, you're looking for, for perfect form and uh, basically learning how to weight train. And then you move on to, you know, sometime like in the midst of your base training to, again, four or six weeks. Same idea, cut two to three sets maybe, but the, 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 the reps go down a bit. Now you're 10 to 15 reps per exercise, but the weights come up a bit. So now you're, you're more 
specifically priming your muscles for the the demand that maximum strength training is going to take. And that's the next phase. That's what everybody's after. So if you buy into the, the, the usefulness of weight training, then the concern is, you know, improving that peak power output, you know, it, being stronger. And then, you know, hopefully that high-end strength trickles down. Again, debatable, nothing we're going to delve into. It's a little outside of our scope. But that phase two is like four to six weeks, and this is when the reps come down further. I mean, you, you could be down you know, six to eight rep range and get as low as the two to four rep range. But this is when you involve a whole lot of muscle mass. This is when you're really starting to Im- improve your raw strength. And then, you know, how you carry that over to the bike, uh, like I said, a little outside of this discussion. But, uh, and, and same, same, same deal, two to three times a week. Um, so those are the three phases that you know, as you work through your base training, you can kind of progress through in terms of strength training. Um, a couple things on, on, on a couple further things on this matter. Um, it, it's hard to, to ride and it's hard to do endurance training and then follow it with strength training. It can be done. Um, ideally, you strength train early in the day, or I'm sorry, you endurance train early in the day. And then if you can leave your strength training to later in the afternoon or even uh, more toward the evening, if you have to do it on the same day, that's the, the preferred method for a number of reasons that since we're running out of time, I'm not going to go into. But um, And then if you have off days, then save your strength training for those off days. Um, th- this is kind of a, a tough balance to walk if your body's already tired from endurance training. But as you get more towards that that maximum strength training where you're only doing uh, two to four lifts at, at a really high, uh, high load, it's not as, it's not as uh, draining, metabolically speaking. So it becomes a little more manageable as the, the, the phases push on. And then it's just a matter of maintenance. And maintenance is like anything. It requires uh, very little, but it has to be very intense. So think of it as a, like a perpetual taper, where you're only doing a little bit each week, but you're doing really hard, meaningful stuff. That's the, that's the training Bible from Coach Chad on weightlifting. That was good stuff. <laughs> there it yeah. is. <laughs> you have everything you need. All right, Fred, uh, you ask about time trial pacing. How do you pace yourself in a time trial so that you don't finish too short or too strong? Is there a formula on pacing using your power meter? And be able to, uh, and can you break it down with segments? Um, I don't know about a uh, pacing, uh, a formula on pacing using your power meter exactly, so much as knowing uh, what sort of... Uh, uh, you can go about it a couple ways. You can chase uh, average power. So you start a little lower than average power, then over the course of the time trial, you ramp up to average power and then maybe finish a little above average power. So uh, maybe that's uh, what you're talking about. Um, in particular, I, I break time trials down into quarters. That's just the way I do it, and I know a lot of athletes do it. A lot of coaches recommend it, um, in which case the, the first quarter is all about restraint. You don't want to go out too hard and blow yourself up. Um, the second quarter is about settling into your rhythm and, you know, finding, nailing that average power, staying very close to it. Um, And then that third quarter is typically where riders start to really hurt and they start to lose focus. They start to feel a little uh, maybe too deep into the effort and too far from the finish and they start to, you know, concentration drifts and so does their motivation and maybe they um, suffer a bit. So, So that's where you really have to focus. Because then you're into that fourth quarter where you're you're just about done, and everyone seems to find the proper motivation then. And you know, even if you you overextended yourself a bit and you're really suffering, people find a way to make that last quarter productive, and oftentimes their best one. 
Yeah, and it's also worth saying that you can use a certain amount of technological or technological services to help you here with Best yes. Bike Split. That's a great tool. Yep, and I was um, actually going to steer this uh, question over to Jonathan for the more technical nature of it because he's more familiar with that Best Bike Split stuff than I am. Yeah, Best Bike Split is an awesome service. Um, great guys, uh, really brilliant. And what they've done is they've essentially created algorithms that define perfect pacing based off of your specific needs. So they'll take into account everything from the type of helmet you have to the depth of wheels that you have and even the road surface and the temperature and the prevailing winds for that area. They take all of that into consideration. Um, all you have to do is you just have to give them that information and then you give them a GPS file. And once they, uh, once they have all that information, you can see, and you can test those different scenarios. Chad said, you can see if you were to ride at your FTP, what your time would be, or I should say an FTP structured plan, what your time would be, or you can see what you, what power output you would have to have to hit a certain time goal on the course. So it's a really cool tool. I recommend using it and it's extremely beneficial, not only in time trials, but also road races. Um, in many cases, and of course, triathlon as well, in many cases with road races or even uh, a mountain bike race is a little tougher. Um, but with a road race, the, the pacing is many times non-existent in the sense that it's just based off of the, the excitement of other riders and, and tactics that are playing out on the road. So in many cases, you can look down and see where your average power is. And you know that with best bike split, you looked at it and on that course in your current form, you knew that the best that you could physiologically sustain was going to be X uh, for your power. And if you are over that early on in the race, then you know that you're going to have to back it down in order to actually finish this race with some steam. So even though that breakaway is getting away, maybe it is just above your limits or perhaps on the other side of things, if you look down and you're in the breakaway and you're underneath what you would be your max goal for that day, yeah, like you can take comfort in that, knowing that you'll have extra towards the end of the race. I know I've used that to, to help win some races. It's uh, really valuable stuff. So, uh, Soren, for the training plans, I want to improve my sustainable top speed. Top speed. I looked at forty. I looked at the forty k TT plan, and it seems like the best one to choose. So that's our training plan there, the forty k TT plan that you get as, uh, when you're a member. Am I on the right track? Uh, that's a pretty vague uh, goal of, of increasing your sustainable top speed, but what do you think, Chad? Yeah, if, uh, if you're looking for just a specialty plan aimed at improving sustainable speed, that's a solid bet for sure. But uh, I think what a lot of riders overlook uh, is the, the other types of fitness that underlie this specialized fitness. So if you only have eight weeks, that's a good way to go. But if you've got, if you're planning your, your next season right now, then uh, I'd recommend you know the, the 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 stepwise periodized approach where you start with your your base and then move on to your build. Um, and in the case of improved sustainable power, um, either of the the uh, base base plans will work. And then of course the sustained power build would be our recommendation. Graham, uh, you have a question about uh, adjusting the base plans for your needs. I suffer from exercise-induced asthma and have been suffering recently with the harder with the harder sessions in the sweet spot base two plan. Uh, listen to your body on that one, Graham. I don't feel up to moving on to the build phase after this plan is complete, and will redo either the traditional base or sweet spot plan again. Which would you suggest? Uh, traditional base is the effort level is lower, um, and you said you're happy to spend a long time in the saddle, or sweet spot base, but at a lower uh, but at a lowered intensity. What do you think, Chad? Yeah, Graham. I actually have. I actually have personal experience with uh, exercise-induced asthma, and I kind of wish Alex was here because he uh, he does as well. Um, he, I'm not entirely sure you need to 
restructure your training um, so much as address the higher intensity workouts a little differently. Um, I had the best luck with more sufficient warm-ups, and, and I, I would extend them by safely 15 minutes of just easy riding before I even got to the more structured warm-up. Um, and then when it came to the intervals themselves, uh, some workouts just weren't doable in that the, the, the intervals were stacked so closely together, my respiration never got a chance to come down, and I just got more and more wound up. Um, so, so those are the ones you're going to ha- have to, you know, sensibly substitute other workouts, uh, you know, similar workouts, similar nature, but maybe not as, as closely packed. And then you always have the option of like, say during uh, two minute, uh, VO two max repeats, and maybe the recovery is only a minute long. Well, just, just pause the workout, take an extra minute or two, bring your breathing down a little more. Um, it's not exactly the same benefit, but it's very much the same benefit. So just, uh, you kind of have to rein in your breathing. And if that means pausing the workouts or, you know, taking little back pedal breaks so that your respiration doesn't get too high, then feel free to tweak the plans or tweak the workouts. Simon, uh, I'm just wondering if the weekly TSS for the workouts and the high volume plans and trainer roads, high volume plans is enough for a cat one, two racer, uh, training for one to three hour races can you recommend which days to perform strength training based on your plan? So we already covered the strength training one, um, but in this case, and, and if there are any differences, Chad, by all means, cover them. But the main question is, is the weekly TSS for the workouts and the high-volume plan enough for a Cat 1-2 road racer doing one- to three-hour races? Um, it's kind of hard to say whether TSS alone is going to be enough because you can accumulate massive quantities of TSS during base training, uh, but then try to go out and race where there's explosive efforts. And, and as Jonathan mentioned, tactics playing out, uh, that TSS isn't going to mean, uh, it's not the, the single metric to tell you if you're on track. Um, and, and a problem with TSS is that that very thing. So from phase to phase or within the phase, TSS is super useful. It helps you track stress incrementally and see that, that you're on the rise. Um, but when you transition to a different phase and different levels of intensity, different types of workouts, the TSS might not correlate exactly the same. You might not still be going up. You might see like an initial drop and then it starts to ramp back up within that phase. And then you get to your specialty phase where the TSS might be lower still, but the intensity, you know, that the rides are shorter and harder and, and, and you're starting to, to peak that fitness. Um, so TSS doesn't tell the entire story. You also have to couple it with, you know, how much time you're spending on the bike and what the intensity mm-hmm. of those workouts is. So for, you know, th- races that go up to three hours, uh, you, you can get away with surprisingly, uh, I won't say low TSS, but less than you might think if the composition of your training uh, is what it needs to be. And uh, with those specialty plans, I'd like to think that it is. Jim, uh, you ask, do you offer a plan that will help me train for the Dirty Kanza 200 next year in June? And for those that don't know about the Dirty Kanza, it's a 200-mile gravel race with 12,000 feet of climbing. It's an absolutely brutal day, and Neil Shirley from Road Bike Action is, uh, I don't know if, actually, I think he didn't win this year. I'm not sure, but he's been the, the reigning champ. So, um, <laughs> Ch- Chad, do we have a plan for the Dirty Kanza 200 um, probably the century plan is going to be the best fit. Um, and then the double century plan when it crops up, uh, would work, uh, equally as well. I, I'm guessing a gravel race isn't going to see, I don't know, you, Jonathan, you tell me, is this a, is this more like a, a rolling road race or is it a steady effort sort of day? I mean, for that long, it's going to have to be pretty steady. 
Yeah, really, because of the nature, because of the fact that the race is so long, you're, you're really going to have to stick within your limits uh, more than than follow efforts that are depicted from other racers within the pack. Um, unless, of course, your fitness is to such a degree that you can do that. Um, but in most cases, the 200-mile race is going to be tough. The Dirty Cans, it doesn't necessarily, it's uh, it's not a mountain bike race by any means. The terrain itself is rolling um, but it's, it's nothing that is, uh, that's exceptional there. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree with your recommendations. I think that, um, sustained power build, uh, is probably the best thing to work on there. And, and then going for our century plan, like, uh, Chad said it, uh, at some point it, we would like to have a double century plan out. Um, and it may be out. Yeah. We don't know, but it may be out in time for, for you to use. So. But the, but the gist of it will be the same. You're just trying to cultivate, you know, big aerobic endurance and big muscular endurance. And then when race day comes around and you know, your FTP is so high, you ride at 70% of that roughly thereabouts and, uh, just got it out for 200 solid miles. It's a rough day. Kudos to you, Jim, for doing that. Tom, uh, there was a question from a guy last week who was uh, losing 20 watts Twenty watts by being in the arrow position. Uh, you say you've been using Trainer Road since it came out, and you've never gained or lost 20 watts by being in a position. It sounds to me that he probably needs a bike fit more than a change in his training. What are your thoughts on that? So let's externalize it from the situation from last week a bit and just look at bike fit, I guess, um, and, and how yeah. that can affect power output. Yeah, so there's a good chance it is a bike fit issue. Anything that's restricting his breathing, anything that's challenging his flexibility, anything that's just uncomfortably unsustainable. So um, I agree with you, Tom. Something needs to change. Uh, if if you're sacrificing that much power due to an aerodynamic position, then your aerodynamic position has to at least accommodate or compensate for that power loss. And that's one way to approach it. And it's not the way I would recommend. I like people to figure out, you know, what's wrong with their fit, what's wrong with their flexibility, what's wrong with something that that's taking my, my fitness and basically cutting into that fitness. Shan, uh, your question here has to do with just overall road racing and which training plan to pick for a person that's going to be doing a ver- a variety of road racing. Mm. You, you say that you just started with trainer road. Awesome. That's good to hear and uh, that you're looking at really picking things up this year. So is there a training plan that you would recommend for a person that's going to be racing everything from crits to road races to TTs, Chad, if they aren't going for a specific discipline? Yeah, at the moment, I would say the rolling road race because it uh, is probably the most generalized uh, road plan. Um, And then another plan that I I will address uh, within the next month or two, definitely before you need... Uh, a specialty plan before you've worked through your base and build training um, is a, a stage racing plan. So it'll, um, it's going to, going to take a fair amount of thought, but uh, there will be a plan specifically for riders who like to thoroughly mix up their road racing. And that's pretty common too. A lot of us do that. Uh, you mentioned Shan that your current plan is doing the mid volume traditional base. Uh, as you know, or and you say, as I know, I struggle staying in zone two power area. Um, and then you plan on sticking with general build followed by rolling road race. So Mm. kudos to you for picking that one. Uh, is there a plan that's better suited to you? What do you think about traditional base right now, Chad? I mean, uh, is that maybe the best approach or would sweet spot base be better? Um, yeah, I don't know how long your road races are. I don't know if that was mentioned in here. Um, I think 60 miles, you can go either way on that. I think you might be better served with the sweet spot base plans, but you, you can also, you know, if, if you know that you're, um, kind of a sugar dependent rider and you burn a lot of sugar and you want to, you know, shift that, that, that fuel demand more over to the fat side of things, then traditional base is a, is a super good way to go. 
And Shan, your final question is that uh, you mentioned that you're five ten and one hundred and thirty eight pounds, so you tend <laughs> to love climbing. Uh, what would uh, what would be your ideal weight? As you tend to struggle putting uh, putting weight on. Um, I sounds kind of tough. I think you might be there, Shan. I, I can't say what's ideal for you because you might find that with an extra five pounds of muscle, you climb substantially better enough to merit that weight gain. Um, but you're, it sounds like you're lanky, you're tall, you're, uh, you've got to be pretty lean at 138. And with th- that threshold at 249, it sounds like you're sitting really pretty. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And it'll go up there as you uh, follow through with the plan that you have laid out there this year, that's for sure. Uh, ben, your question is about how to, um, really it's about mid and post-ride recovery and uh, nutrition and if it's necessary for low-volume athletes. So Chad, if you're an athlete that's just doing low-volume training, should be, should they be taking in a mid-ride uh, nutritional supplements and post-ride recovery drinks? Is that necessary? No, I see this a lot and it's it's a it's a bummer thing to witness riders are very keen on losing weight but they also feel like they have to fuel their ride um never minding the fact that you don't really need that much um, exogenous fuel fuel sources over the course of low intensity training um your body can become accustomed to that intake and 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 there can be a bit of a uh, quite a bit of a transition from a a sugar burning machine to a fat burning one but base training is when you do that um so you kind of kind of have to wean yourself off of your sugar dependency, which is another very big topic, and there are a lot of ways to go about it. But uh, when it comes to low-intensity training, you don't need hardly any, if any, sugar, um, especially for shorter rides. Um, and then as far as the protein shake afterwards, that's probably a lot of unnecessary calories. Um, you can get uh, less protein or, or the same amount of protein with with less calorie than, than a shake. Um, but you're, you're doing what I've seen happen quite a lot, and, and your, your caloric intake is probably surpassing your, your caloric output, and the weight's just not going to come off. Yeah, and it, yeah, I can only say from experience that I can echo what Chad says there uh, without getting into too many specifics there. Uh, that's certainly just a, I definitely feel the same way. Uh, Chris and David, you have somewhat similar questions, but different circumstances. Each of you are doing one of our base plans. So one of you is following traditional base while the other is following sweet spot base high volume. And in the case of David, uh, or I should say in the case of Chris, first of all, you're looking at getting out and just doing some, some races from October to January. Your club has little hill climb TTs, crits, or road races, um, just a variety of events that you want to do. And then David, you're going out and you're riding fat bikes with your friends. And it sounds like it's a slug fest on fat bikes. That sounds fun. Um, and your question, each of you are asking, will this affect your base training adversely going out and doing these hard efforts? No, I, I think the variety is seldom a bad thing. Um, you just have to keep it, uh, keep it toned down. So if you're doing a lot of work or a lot of high intensity work early in the year, and you're eating a lot of sugar in the process, um, the aerobic adaptations that you're seeking with your lower intensity, uh, you know, more fat me- metabolizing sort of efforts, uh, it's it's just going to pull you away from that. It won't necessarily damage it exactly, but if you're um, doing more of one type of training than the other, you're going to get more of those types of adaptations. And Chris, you have another question. You say on the 60-minute workouts, I feel like I could go longer, and sometimes when no one is home, I could probably go on as long as I like. Is it okay to extend these workouts, and if so, by how much? 
Um, I'm not sure in the sweet spot base high volume. So I'm not sure if you're talking about like in high intensity intervals or the the more low intensity aerobic stuff. Um, with the low intensity aerobic stuff, you can extend that stuff as long as you want to. Um, the same goes for the high intensity interval stuff, but that's you just have to keep in mind. You know, adding another set of intervals, what's that going to do to your recovery? Um, is it going to set you back, require an extra day, which means one less day of training? Um, but I'm guessing you're meaning the, the lower intensity riding, in which case grow that duration as much as you see fit. Um, the, the longer you spend on there, the more thoroughly you fatigue, the, the, the slow twitch fibers and the more fat you burn, um, the better off you'll be aerobically speaking. Martin, you have a question about track racing training plans. Any recommended workouts for someone riding a weekly track league this winter? How can I work a training plan around just a weekly evening race like this? Um, I haven't got any specific recommendations just yet outside of what I'd recommend for, you know, like a criterium rider. Um, I am devising a, uh, 4k pursuit track plan that'll be out, um, uh, pretty soon, actually, maybe another month or so. Um, but as far as, uh, weekly races, whether track or mountain bike or criterium or whatever, I just substitute the race for one of the high intensity workouts. So yeah, stay tuned for that training plan, Martin. That'll be good stuff. Uh, Jill, uh, you're laying out a scenario for us that really has to do with uh, some triathlon training and some events that you have, and you're looking at uh, which training plans you should pick for these events. So I'll go ahead and read through your scenario. Uh, I recently did my second Ironman, Ironman Barcelona, and came in first in your age group. So kudos, congrats. That is awesome, Jill. Way to go. And you qualified for Kona. Um, you have no doubt that Trainer Road helped you along the way. That's exactly why we do all of this. That's so cool. I typically ride four times a week, a long brick, out, a long brick workout, and a long ride on non-consecutive days over the weekend together with my tri-group and prescribed by our coach. And I get on my tax flow trainer with my Trainer Road app two days during the week and prefer to use your, your plans for these workouts. I'm not exactly sure where to start now, though, for the next few months. This is what I've come up with. Uh, and you're going to do an Olympic try on October 30th and Olympic try December 4th. Very challenging. You've got climbs and winds to deal with, um, a half iron distance, July 29th and another half iron or half distance sometimes in sometime in May. And forgive me, that was January 29th on the first half distance there. So a half distance in January and then a half distance in May and then Kona, October 8th. You got a long training season there, Jill, um, with a lot of kind of peaks and valleys, so to speak, um, Chad, is this something that we could answer here? Is it maybe best uh, yeah, answered? In yeah, text? with your the, the stuff that's really um, proximate, the, the October 30th, December 4th, uh, you're just kind of, um, you're in a race phase right now. So you could get into any of those tri-plans. Um, these are Olympic distance. So the Olympic tri-plan and use, uh, you, you could just repeat those taper weeks, the seventh and eighth weeks. So, so it's that you're, you're keeping your intensity, but you're not burying yourself in uh needless volume and fatigue. Um, the January 29th one is, you know, a couple months out. So you could, uh, kind of back things off after your December race, um, for, for a week or two, and then start like a rebuild, which is basically the latter four to six weeks of, in this case, the sustained power build would probably work quite nicely. Um, and then it's all about building back up for Kona. So, you know, 38 weeks or so out from there, just to start your structured training with, uh, you know, your, your 12 to 18 weeks of base and then move on to your, 
your sustained power build. And if you're just using our, our midweek workouts, then just follow the plans and, and pluck out those workouts and then follow what your coach is prescribing on the weekend. Wonderful. And that covers us for today. Lots of questions. Thanks for sticking with us, and thanks for submitting your questions. Uh, we appreciate it. This is what we're all about, making you guys faster. So uh, just a reminder, you can find this podcast on iTunes. Um, you just look for the Trainer Road Ask a Cycling podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud at just soundcloud.com slash trainerroad. Leave us a review on iTunes and let us know uh, if you're enjoying the podcast. Give us a star rating, five stars if you feel we deserve it. And we'll catch you next time. You can always submit your questions to us at support at trainerroad.com and stick around. And I guess I should say more than anything, stay tuned for the next uh, Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. It'll be coming up in a couple weeks. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us, everyone. Happy training.